We're glad to have Kerry with us this evening, and he will come now and read the scripture and lead us in prayer. Kerry, if you would, please. Good evening. If you could turn in your Bible to Matthew 18, we'll be reading from verse 21 down to 35. It's Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. This is not our main text, but we'll be going, I'll be talking about this as well, so I thought I would read this now, and then we'll go to the main text later. So, Matthew 18, starting verse 21. Then came Peter unto him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which should have taken account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one he brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. By forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servants went out and found one but the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him, and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet, and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison, till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very sorrow. And they came and told him unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him. To the tormentors till he should be paid all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that here you show us what the kingdom should be like. Forgiveness, Father. We thank you, Lord God, that we have forgiveness in Christ for what he has done for us on that cross and paid our debt, a debt that we could not repay. But Father, we, we ask, Lord God, that tonight you might help us, help us to become closer to you, Father, in our journey. Help us, Lord God, on our walk on earth here to display Christ more and more as, as you sanctify us, Father. And may that be our desire, Father, that the world might see Christ even in us, Father, we, we thank you, Lord God, that Anita is coming back to Sudbury. Father, we, we, uh, we pray for that family and, and Cheryl and, and Andrew as he's driving back from Toronto. Father, we, we thank you, Lord God, that they, they're among us. It's a joy to see that family. So, Father, we, we, we pray for them. 
And Lord God, there's uh, missionaries, and especially the ones in India, Father, as our relationships with, uh, between our governments are strained. Father, we, we ask, Lord God, that, that the money that, might be, um, that was wired might make it into the hands of those um, needy ministries, Father. So, Father, we, we, we thank you, Lord God, for this building, and we thank you, Lord God, that we're able to preach freely. Father, we pray for our governments. We pray for the municipality and federal and the provincial, Father. We, we pray, Lord God, that they will realize that they must give an account, that they are actually your servants, your hands. So, Father, we, we pray that they might seek you and serve in a godly manner that might bring glory to you. So, Father, we put these in, things into your hands, and, Father, we, we, we thank you that we can come before you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Again, Kerry, Lord bless as you open the word to us tonight. Thank you, Riel. So, if you would like to turn to Genesis 4. Genesis 4, I'll start in verse 1. 1 to 16. And then we'll skip ahead to verses 23 and 24. So if you're wondering where Genesis is, the first book of the Bible. (laughs) Somehow I think everyone here knows that. (laughs) So Genesis 4, starting in in verse 1. Um, And Adam knew Eve and his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. And said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought his firstlings of his flock and, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering, But on to Cain and his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shall thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from the face shall I be hid, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the, in the earth, and it shall come pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord 
and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Now ahead, the verse 23 and 24. And Lamech said unto his wives, Adon and Ziblab, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lechem, hear, my, hear unto my speech. For I have slain a man to my wounding, and a young man to my hurt. If Cain be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. We'll just pray for a sec. Father, we thank you again, Lord God, for this, for your, for your word. And we thank you that the lamb was slain for us. Father, we ask that you might open uh, our hearts uh, to receive your word tonight. In Jesus' holy name, amen. So, as a child, how many of us have heard, say you're sorry? Followed by, promptly by, say it like you mean it. As a child, I heard that a lot. My mom was always saying that to my sister. I just happened to be in the room. <laughs> of course, there are times like Cain and Abel, it's just too late to say sorry. You know, there's just too late here to say sorry. So when I started uh, meditating on these verses and looking at the verses around Cain and Abel, actually, the reason what prompted me to look at this was uh, Kirk's Sunday School class. And so I, was, I read a commentator uh, by J.A. Wellham, and he noted that there was a progression of sin in Genesis. It started with the fall of man through Adam and Eve. And then, Wellham, this is what he said. He said, Adam had to be convinced to sin, while Cain could not be convinced not to sin. Now, it's, it's debatable, I guess, if Adam had to be convinced to sin. Uh, it seems like he was just hanging around there waiting for it, but that's debatable uh, if he had to be convinced but it's clear here that God had actually intervened with Cain. He had great, great amount of grace we see here that God was dealing with Cain. Uh, but he did not force Cain to have a heart transplant. God warned Cain. Uh, he instructed him that sin was crouching at the door. Right? God paints this picture of a creature behind the door. And this creature is sin. It's actually anxiously waiting, it's ready and willing and able. As soon as you open that door, it will pounce into action. And so Cain has his hand on the doorknob. God knows that he has the hand on the doorknob. And here we see that he says, he tells him that he needs to rule or master over this sin. Because sin wants to be the boss. And we actually, you know, last week we learned Mr. Boyd and it just so happened. I already had these verses here, okay? So I'm like trying not to copy, but if you're going to copy anyone, Mr. Boyd would be a good one to copy. So, uh, yeah, so First Peter, it says, uh, be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion, right? Walking about seeking whom he may desire or devour. So right behind that door there, ready and willing to jump into action. And mankind is faced with this adversary, the devil, and sin. And we're called, though, not to allow it to rule over us. We're called not to allow sin, not to allow Satan to rule over us. And, of course, Mr. Boyd mentioned this last night, that I guess is the go-to when you're talking about sin. 
and lust, right? It's in us, right? We have a desire here. Every man is tempted, drawn away from his own lust and enticed. So not only is it hard enough, there's there's an external creature that wants us to sin. It's also within us that wants to sin. And these desires give birth to sin. And of course, it will bring forth death. And so we know this story that Cain did not heed God's worth. And both their lives, Abel, both their lives are completely different. will never be the same. And so now we see in 13 and 15, as he's pleading, right? Cain says, my punishment is too great. I can't bear it. So Cain here, we see, he assumes, and rightly so, that someone's going to want to take matters into, his own, into their own hands and have vengeance over Cain for what he has done. And it's interesting here that God actually agreed with Cain. And so in God's mercy, he placed him under his protection here and placed a mark on him so that everyone from this point forward would recognize that Cain is, one, under God's judgment, and two, under his protection. And anyone who dares to kill Cain will suffer vengeance from God seven times. And it clearly declares that God is the judge. And so we fast forward. I read those two verses in 23 and and 24. We fast forward a few generations, and we have Cain's great-great-great-grandson, if I did the math right, Lamech. And Lamech came to flame... Well, we're going to have some more water there. His claim to fame is that he killed a man. And again, the commentator, Wellman, said, you see, this is the progression of sin, right? From the fall of the garden to murdering one's own brother. And he noted that Lamech first was not satisfied with one wife. Here he has two wives. Secondly, he seems like he's bragging. He seems like he's bragging here that he killed a man. And thirdly, What really struck me about this, looks like he's perverting God's word to his own advantage. He's twisting it for his own advantage. Now, we're not given a lot of information. With these two verses, we're not given a lot of information. So, you know, what what information are we given? Well, we know a man died, right? We know Lamech hints that it was self-defense. But it really comes across like Lamech was having vengeance, perhaps on a young, rash man that struck him. And so this man is dead. And what do we know? Lamech gives no signs at all that there's any kind of remorse in this. He doesn't have any remorse. It also seems like he's putting his wives at ease, right? And... Apparently they're not good listeners because he had to say it twice. So maybe he really wanted to enforce something there. But his his actions actually plunge the whole family into jeopardy. And that's what sin does. Sin never just affects one individual, especially a family unit. You know, perhaps his wives were concerned, like Cain, that someone's going to have vengeance. Right? And what about them? Either way, his action would affect the family. 
Lamech, though, however, he doesn't seem to be too concerned about his future. Right? He has a plan. Once again, we will see that he will justify and he will give an excuse. And it's amazing. Time after time, you see in the Bible that they'll use the highest authority. He's using God. Or he's using God's word. He says, listen, Lamech takes a clear message that was a hedge of warning for Cain. God put a hedge around him of warning for Cain that God is the avenger and that God is judge. And Lamech takes that word and he says, I will be 11 times worse. Anyone who messes with Lamech will suffer at the hand of God. And God has not given him the endorsement. And Lamech assumes that he can dictate God or command God's protection here. Now, another way of looking at it is Lamech might be pushing God aside and claiming that he will avenge himself. If anyone messes with Lamech, they better think twice, or actually 77 times, they better think 77 times. Violence got Lamech into this, and violence will get him out of this. Through the way, we know that there's a flood coming. And at the end of this passage, it ends with uh, our introduction to Seth, who, which is the line of Noah. And Noah eventually will find out the grace of God. So this chapter shows the heart of man, shows a murderous and vengeful creature. This really shows the heart of man. And as we know, the New Testament always sheds light on the subject, and it it does uh, in the Beatitudes on murder and vengeance. Here we have the Beatitudes 5, Matthew 5, 21. Ye have heard of it said, by them of old, thou shalt not kill. And whoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. You know, that's fairly easy to understand. There should be some kind of judgment. If you kill someone, there's going to be an investigation. More than likely, a trial will pursue. And that makes sense that there will be justice. Justice for the one who died. Justice for the loved ones. And a warning for others not to commit such an act. In 22, though, the Lord goes to the heart of the matter. He sheds more light to this commandment, thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you, whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Now, being angry, we know being angry is not necessarily sinful but it's the reaction you have in the situation. It's are you allowing anger to control you and direct you. When the anger takes over, it directs you. You're no longer in control, and that anger becomes hatred. What it is, it's an unbalanced response to a situation. Family future like this. Right? Have a family feud. Someone in one family does something. They react a little bit more severely. And then they react a little bit more severely. And a couple generations later, grandchildren fall in love and all is well. 
So, <laughs> but today, you know, we we have these laws. Here it says, "In danger of judgment of the council." So we have these laws of slander and libel, right? If someone spreads and makes a statement that damages your reputation, well, you might be brought to court. But we know here that God is keeping an account, right? If you view another as a fool or say they have an empty soul, that they're nothing, that is hatred. That shows hatred. It's like you have killed that person in your heart. And we know time and time again that God always sees the heart. He goes to the heart of the matter. right? He looks at the heart. We see the outside, but God sees the inside. God actually sees the intent of our heart. And this passage applies to all of us. You know, we, we see God goes to the heart of matter. The hatred, this ungodly hatred, is equal to murder. It's the same hatred that actually drives people to physically murder someone. And I suspect, if we're honest, at one time in our life, we were probably all guilty of this hatred in some way or another. I know I have. The same hatred towards someone is the same hatred that you're judged for killing someone. And so it's an unbalanced response to a situation, which is vengeance. Lord's on the cross. What does he say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. While he's hanging on the cross, one criminal on the right, one criminal on the left, the innocent seeks forgiveness for the aggressive adversaries. He's hanging there, cursed on a tree, and what comes out? Forgive them. What would we have done in his situation? We had a legion of angels on our side at our beck and call. Christ is concerned with their souls hanging there on the cross after what they had done to him. And so we see this is upside down. It is. If you really think about it, it's upside down. The, it's a polarized gulf between man and God. And we don't think the same. And that's because of sin. And so we should be stunned when we hear, Father, forgive them. Because man would not react the same. Man would have desired revenge. God, however, makes it clear that we are called to forgive. And so in Matthew 18, that we had read, if you want to turn to it, we can turn to it, to Matthew 18. We read earlier. Jesus is actually talking before this in this context when Peter asked the question. He was actually teaching how brothers, how Christians are over to overcome conflict. How we are to discuss wrongdoing first privately with your brother. If that doesn't work, then you bring one or two others with you to resolve this. If that doesn't work, well then you get the whole church involved. Whole entire church, here's the issue. And the purpose, of course, which I have said before, is restoration. 
to restoration on a severed relationship. And the hope is that forgiveness will prevail over the bad blood. So what does Peter do after this, after he hears this? He asks that question. He asks the question, what verse is that? He asks the question, listen, should I limit my forgiveness to seven times? Am I to limit it to seven times? Right? After all, if the particular sinner is continuing to offend you, what's the point? Can we not put a limit? You know, they're not learning. They don't care. They're doing the same thing all the time. All the time, I have to forgive them, and they just keep hurting me. Doesn't that make sense that we could limit it? Right? Doesn't that appeal to us? You know, because everyone has their own limit, we hear. Everyone has a breaking point, and let's just call it a seven times. You know, we've done our part, and they just won't stop offending us. They just don't stop. So here, Jesus says, no, it's seven times 70. Basically, you always forgive. You always forgive. You do not keep count, Peter. You're always forgiving. There's no limit to us forgiving one another. Now, we don't know if Jesus had the account of Lamech in mind when he answered, but there's certainly a contrast that we see. Lamech was all about revenge. Jesus is all about forgiveness. Lamech had pride, while forgiveness is humility. Lamech was about self-preservation, and forgiveness serves to protect and to preserve others. But it also preserves us. You know, in this parable, it was prompted by the question of limiting forgiveness. And the Lord started off in verse 23. In verse 23, he says, but he turned to them, onto Peter. Oh, wrong, uh, wrong chapter. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king. The kingdom of heaven. This parable shows us what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like, or what it should be like. All the children of God are brethren. You know, Floyd taught the other night, which means from the same womb. And so we know the story. We've read it probably how many times have we read it? We know the story. It's time to settle accounts. So the king is starting to call in his loans. Okay, guys, it's time, time to call in the loan. And one man owed a great sum of money. 10,000 talents is equal to 160,000 years of labor. Impossible to pay back. A debt that could not be paid back. And so the king's solution was easy, right? Okay, take the whole family, everything he has, and sell them. And whatever money I get, well, I get something. But of course, upon hearing the verdict, this man fell down on his face. 
his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him. Oh, that's verse 28. Well, they, they said the exact same thing. 29 and the other verse, they had said the exact same thing. They both fell down at, on their face and pleaded for mercy. And he said he would pay back the money. And so the king had compassion on him. And he forgave his debt. He didn't say, okay, I'm going to give you some time to pay it back. He forgave his debt. He wiped it out. He forgave him. And so this man experienced great forgiveness, right? His whole family, they just dodged a bullet. So what does this man do with the forgiveness that he just had? Well, he goes out and he finds a man that owes him some money, a hundred days wage. That's what that is. A hundred pence is a hundred days wage. And what does he do? Very aggressively demands that he pays it back. He grabs him by the throat, very aggressively demands payment. And so, this man, he did the exact same thing as I said in verse 29. His fellow servant fell down on his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I'll pay thee all. He did the exact same thing. So you would think this man had just experienced great forgiveness. He was in this man's shoes. So you would think that he would have passed this forgiveness and this grace on. But he wasn't. He was ruthless. He threw him in jail. He said, okay, you're going to go to jail till, till I have my 100 days back. So of course this made it back to the king. We know that. The king was not pleased. Why? Because it didn't fit, right? Something's off. Anyone reading this would see that something is off here. It doesn't fit with what the man had just went through. He receives such mercy. Should this mercy not have been extended? Does he not remember what it was like to be in the hot seat? And so this king is angry. And he judges him. He calls him a wicked servant. And what does he do? He reinstates the debt. He reinstates the debt that could not be paid and he throws him in jail. He receives the same judgment that this man had on his fellow servant. Exact same judgment. So he was judged by his words. And that last verse should be very sobering. The last verse, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother's trespass. That should be very sobering for us. What should we do? What will we do? Right? God casts us in jail on a debt that could never be paid with no hope of ever getting out. Because you don't forgive from your heart. We receive such mercy from God, having a debt of trespass against us that is wiped out. Should we not also be able to have mercies on other men who are created in God's own image? 
this man in this parable did not fit. He totally forgot that he was just in the same situation and he did not show mercy. So yes, Peter, you forgive. You don't limit your forgiveness to seven times 70. Lamech wanted to live. Lamech was trying to preserve his own life. But in this parable, we see who forgives is actually preserving their own life. Not being thrown into jail, Jesus actually gives us life. Right? He said he comes to give us life more abundantly. Not to be trapped in the jail of bitterness. And in verse 18... The verily I say unto you, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Therefore, it is actually self-preserving to forgive. It's actually self-preserving for us to forgive. So back, we'll turn back to Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis 4, we see this hatred is developing from Cain and directed to Abel, right? Both brothers have brought an offering to God. God accepted Abel's offering and rejecting Cain's offering. So I used to think about this, I don't know, I thought years ago, I thought it was, well, it's, it's obvious Right, the blood shows Abel brought the animal sacrifice, so it was the blood, right, that foreshadows Christ going to the to the uh, to the cross, while Cain just brought plant based. And so I was thinking that's what it was. But we also know that God had made it plain in, in Matthew that God looks at the heart. And so can we see Abel's heart and can we see Cain's heart from this offering? And there's a, there's a small hint here. There's a small hint in Abel also brought his firstlings of the flock and of the fat thereof. Abel brought his firstborn from the flock. The very first of Abel's increase he gave to God. Right? Imagine you're anticipating the birth of your livestock only to bring it to God. The whole time you're anticipating, you give it back to the Lord. Right? The special firstborn was the one that Abel was waiting for, and he gave his best. The closest to Abel's heart is what he gave the Lord. Abel also gave the fat portions. You know that the best cut? A bit of fat on the outside, and you have all that taste, right? That's The fat is where the taste is. And so he gave him the best. He gave him the best of what he had. He didn't hold back. It was only the best for God. Only the firstborn and the best portions of the firstborn. And how about Cain? We don't have a lot of details. Just says Cain brought the fruit of the ground. But compared to Abel, when Abel has all this detail, Cain just gave some fruit of the ground. 
No mention of his first fruits. No mention of it was the best fruits. Only a portion of the fruits. So God took notice. He did not regard Cain offering. Both Cain and Abel displayed their heart before God. Cain also took notice. He noticed his brother was accepted by God while he was rejected. Cain became furious at this. Now God knows Cain is furious, furious. And we see the grace of God beginning to question Cain. And over and over we see God throws out a question. And it's to get us to think about it. You know, to to reason. The grace of God doesn't force Cain into submitting. You know, and the Lord said unto Cain in in verse 6, Why art thou wroth? Why is thou continence fallen? If thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted? And if thou dost not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall his desire and thou shalt rule over him. The grace of God is trying to get Cain to think through this. If you do what is right, Cain, you'll be accepted. Abel did what is right. You will be accepted. Think about it, Cain. Think this through. Do you really think I'm not going to accept you? Do what is right. No response from Cain. No response. No repentance is found in Cain. Instead, he is focused on what he perceives the problem to be. He thinks the problem is Abel. His anger and hatred without cause. Without cause. Somehow he has it in his head that Abel is the problem. Did Abel do anything against Cain? Abel was simply enjoying his relationship with God. Abel did nothing wrong, yet Cain judged him to the point of death. He judged him of being deserving of death. Cain is at the center of the universe. And Abel revolves around him. Everything here is about Cain. Has this ever happened to you? Or have you ever done it to someone else? Perceive that their actions is against you? Or have you ever thought that someone's actions are directed against you? Like I said, we tend to do this. We tend to think that someone's actually doing something against us. Or someone else thinks that our actions are doing something against them when it maybe had nothing to do with them at all. Because we don't have all the information. So Cain, on the other hand, is looking at Abel was trying to make Cain look bad. Cain thought, Abel's trying to make me look bad. Because Cain had a distorted view of himself. Cain was lifted up. And in verse 7, we see the grace of God extends even more, as I read earlier. He's warning him now. The instructions turn to warning. Sin is at the door. 
Sin is at the door. It's turning into a warning. You know, doesn't that not sound like the gospel? God gives us instruction. We're given the word of God. Jesus hangs on the cross to bear our shame and guilt. And so believing in the one, the only son, we live. But if we don't, we die. The gospel, this is what this is. This is the gospel. God is warning us. God is warning Cain. If we turn from our sin and follow Christ and do what was right, we'll have everlasting life. But if we continue to sin, we fall into judgment. And ultimately, we are separated from all of creation, separate from God in this place called hell. A place prepared for Satan and his fallen angels. And so we have a dire warning here. right? Be saved, be saved from a multitude of sins. God gave Cain, in his grace, a choice. God even reasoned with Cain, and this is a picture of salvation. Cain did not heed the warning. Sin was at the door, lying there, crouching there, waiting for the opportunity to show itself. The sin is ready and willing to jump into action at any moment. Sin wants to rule. Satan wants to rule over us. Wants to control us. Who can stand against such a foe? Well, Christ can. As Mr. Boyd had said, Christ prays for us, then Satan can only go as far as he permits. In this case, Cain chose to go alone. And what are the results? He could not rule this sin. And he is held accountable for his sin, accountable for first-degree murder. Sin premeditate. Cain had time to think about this. Now God deals with him in judgment. But first God gives him the opportunity to confess his sin. He gives him the opportunity to to confess his sin. And he said, the Lord said unto Cain, in verse 9, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. I am my brother's keeper. Cain becomes even more defiant. There's an opportunity there to confess Cain. God is still extending that grace. But he chose not to confess, not to be made right with God. And when I was growing up, I also heard this a lot. Are you not your brother's keeper? Or are you your brother's keeper? I don't know if you guys know, but I was from a newspaper dynasty growing up. As a paper boy dynasty, actually. We had a, how long was it in our family, Mom? 17 years as a paper boy? Not me, myself. You don't remember the paper route? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so we, we had the paper route. I think it was about 17 years, and it was passed from one boy to another to another. And at one time, there was two routes. And so they, they would put the newspapers at the end of the driveway, one bundle and another bundle for one boy and the other bundle for the other boy. Well, one brother would go and pick up his and wouldn't bring the other. And my mom would promptly say, are you your brother's keeper? <laughs> so here we see that the answer to this question is no. Of course he's not his brother's keeper. Right? He clearly displayed that. He showed his heart. Right? And this question hits the nail on the head. 
Cain was guilty of breaking the second of the two sums of the commandments. You know, the great commandments. The second of which is like unto this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. No, Cain was doing the exact opposite of this commandment. The exact opposite. He had anger against his brother without cause, which is another way of saying hatred. He hated his brother from his heart. And he followed through with it. This hatred killed his brother. Not only killed him, but it was predetermined in his heart to kill Abel. First degree, that sounds like the counsel against the Lord Jesus Christ. It was predetermined. They were determined to kill Christ. Cain is determined here to kill Abel. But it didn't start there. It started with two men coming before God and presenting his offerings. Their offerings. One man put God first, gave him his best, his firstlings. One loved God with all his heart. The other, Cain, did not love God. He did not love God. Cain gave a portion of his fruit, not the best. He gave him some fruits. He showed his heart. And God sees his heart. Cain was guilty of disobeying the first commandment. That sums up all the commandments. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and all thy might. Mine. Without loving God, you simply cannot love your neighbor as yourself. It's impossible. You can't do it. They're not separable commandments. They're together. They're like one commandment. First you have a relationship with God, and then you can love man. And it starts with loving God, having a relationship with the Lord Almighty. Right? If we don't love, if we don't love God... How can we ever love man who's created in his image? So sin was at the door and Cain embraced it. Without God, without loving God, again, you just cannot love man the way God loves man. Without God, Cain could not see his own fault. If we forgive others, then we're not stuck in bitterness. If we forgive others that don't even deserve forgiveness, from our point of view, pray for them. Come around to seeing them in the image of God. And if we forgive others, others might take notice of it. They might see that this doesn't fit. The way I treat you and you forgive me in return does not fit with man. They might wonder how it is that we can forgive. Cain wasn't able to let go of his anger without cause because of his heart. His heart was not right before God. Believers, though, have a heart transplant. Therefore, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them because it screams the gospel. That's what it is. Forgiveness screams the gospel. Seventy times seven. Abel's faith showed that he was righteous according to Hebrews because he put God first. And that's the gospel. 
Having a relationship with God is the gospel. Loving God is the gospel. It starts with God. And it starts by coming to God in his own way, not our way, right? Cain didn't want God. Cain wanted to shape God into a God that takes seconds, a God of convenience. And Abel's action of serving God from his heart repelled Cain. He didn't like it. Repelled him. Because it made Cain look bad. In fact, Cain was probably more upset with God than he was of Abel. Like we learned about Samuel. And God said, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me as king. So we see that Cain is punished, and rightly so. He was so, but Cain was concerned, of course, that someone's going to have revenge on him. But God places a mark on him. God put a hedge of protection around him, which declared that he is judge. You know that mankind all have a mark. God has put a mark on every single person. We are all created in the image of God. We are all created in His image. So those two commandments, the two great commands are inseparable. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, then love your neighbor as yourself. You'll be able to forgive because the mark of God is on man. Man is created in God's own image. And God is the judge of his image bearers. So tonight we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We celebrate Jesus Christ giving his best to the Father on our behalf. We celebrate that even God was mindful of us. He looked down at our murderous hearts and had compassion. Forgive them for they know not what they do. We have such forgiveness, so much forgiveness. Surely we can share that forgiveness with others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you call us to rule over sin and by forgiving others, Father. Oh, Father, help us to lift up others that we may feel they've offended us. Help us to pray for them. Help us to see that they have your own image. Change our hearts, Father, we do ask. In Jesus' holy name, amen.